Welcome to Technically Speaking with Borju and Wincy, a podcast about the evolving conversations in tech. Hello, it's Borju. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about who is responsible for AI and what is AI. Well, I'm not going to go into an incredibly technical explanation of what it is. It's essentially something that seeks to make computers do what minds can do. And that could be to do with intelligence, so a reasoning machine, or it could be something that can understand if a picture we're showing a camera is a dog or a cat, or it could even be Google search engine. It's absolutely everywhere. And not only is it everywhere, it has also been around forever. In fact, the first time it was coined was in 1956, and it was used as a term to replace what was previously known as computer simulation. The first time a lot of my generation heard about this kind of thing was with the success of the AlphaGo algorithm that managed to beat a real world, real life, real living, breathing AlphaGo player. So... Given that we have AI that can play games, it's in our search engines, it could even be in your fridge trying to decide what temperature things should be for you. Something really dangerous that AI can do is actually manipulate the stock markets. And that's exactly what happened in 2010, where over the course of just 30 minutes, the stock markets crashed. We would try to explain the flash crash in more detail, but... It would probably take the entire length of this podcast to tell you what actually happened. To investigate that flash crash, it took the regulators over five years just to investigate what had happened. One journalist actually described it like it was a little bit like blaming lightning for starting a fire and felt like the regulators used bicycles to try to catch Ferraris because the tech had moved so quickly and it was so hard. It took so long for people to actually finally figure out what had happened. So there were new regulations that were put into place and people have been concentrating a lot more on AI explainability. And I think obviously we know that a lot of it is down to the creators of the AI to make sure that the AI that they've produced is sensible, right? A recent example that I've been seeing a lot of actually is in the health sector, A really good friend of mine, he's a radiologist. Nowadays, a lot of scans, unbeknownst to most people, are actually processed with AI and algorithms in order to produce the results which a radiologist will review in order to make an assessment or a diagnosis. Now, what has also come to bear is that because there's been so much AI in there, not all radiologists understand what has gone into the training of those machines in order to come up with the result. And therefore, there is a risk that a misdiagnosis could happen. So for example, a radiologist might not know the AI hasn't factored in certain types of data or hasn't trained in other data points about your health. And it might actually say, this looks like you have a cyst or tumor. Whereas actually, if you take a lot of other things into account, that wouldn't be the diagnosis you'd give. And as a result of this, there has been in Europe created a commission on the civil law rules on robotics. One of the points on it actually talks about how 
no matter what happens, the liability has to land with the human and not the robot. Because what they were seeing is a possibility that people would start to try to sue doctors or radiologists for misdiagnoses, whereas actually they could see companies and doctors try to shift that responsibility onto the robot itself. However, at this point in time, that's not possible. There is a human who trains it. There are people who are controlling what goes into these, and they need to be held responsible for any of the calamities or errors that come out of the result. So I guess increasingly, the people who are owning these AI projects are the C-suite. But do they really know how these AI systems work or how they might fail? It could even be that these executives disagree with those who are actually building the AI about what the biggest problems are. And it's not surprising, is it? This technology has grown so quickly that all of a sudden, well, I mean, I guess it's been around since the 50s. It's been around since the 50s. But it's the processing power that's changed. Absolutely. So the use of it has proliferated far quicker than we can actually control it. And that's the problem. The way it's been entrenched into our everyday lives has grown so massively that it's become critically important for those who are building technology solutions to have a better understanding of how these things work. It's almost as if they need a disclaimer on their products that say, beware, I use AI. (laughs) (laughs) So coming from a situation where radiologists now have to understand how their scans are being produced and understand the technology behind it, how the algorithms work, to bringing it up to a bigger level in terms of running a company that produces a lot of products that are being built using similar types of technology. Like self-driving vehicles. Where it's critically important, actually, for someone who is in a position of power at those companies to understand how those cars are being built. Because if that car hits someone, who's responsible? In order to explore this further, we have invited someone who knows this topic very well. I'd like to welcome Shinpei Kato, the CTO and founder of Tier 4, a professor at Tokyo University and one of the directors of the AutoWare Foundation and Operating System for Autonomous Vehicles. Our first question was why Shinpei, as founder of TF4, opted to be CTO rather than CEO? (laughs) The reason is actually not very interesting. There is a university regulation. I am a professor. My uh, main work is to teach and to direct academic uh, research. So if I become a CEO of one particular company, then I have a responsibility and I may not be able to focus on the teaching Mm. and research. However, the CTO position, you can say that we are uh, using a technology that was spin out from the university and make it available to the public or the society. So for that reasoning, I'm a... uh, at CTO, not CEO. Is it problematic? If you look at Google 10 years back, there are two founders. However, neither of them was a CEO. So they invited another professional, experienced person to the CEO. 
So I think this is actually a reasonable concept. I can focus on deep tech, deep technology. On the other hand, a more uh, professional person can focus on the operation or finance uh, of the company. Of course, I personally very interested in uh, operation and finance of the company. And I believe myself, I'm capable of doing so. But if you look at a deep tech uh, startup, you need somebody who can be dedicated to a technology vision. Finance of the company can be managed by another professional person. Pretty perfect. How did you find your CEO out of interest? One friend who already has his own uh, startup, introduced one person who can give me an advice on finance or operation of the company. So I started asking him a a lot of questions. He gradually uh, started having interest in my company. So he was an investor, more than 20 years experience. Now um, he is more uh, interested in getting invested rather than investing. I think I was quite lucky to meet with such a person who is professional in investment as well as operation and finance of the company. It's interesting you know, to, to see that he doesn't call him a CEO. Actually, uh, our company doesn't have a CEO. It's open, open position. <laughs> Instead, he is in charge of operation finance while I am in charge of technology and uh, vision. CEO will be eventually required, of course. Uh, But for the time being, uh, we are actually leaving that position blank. That is fascinating. I've never heard anything (laughs) like that before. Um, Me neither. I I love it. I I mean, if you don't need it, you don't need it. So for me, what was interesting in what you said is the fact that you have this open source technology, so to speak, and you're doing something that can impact lives. The question of accountability would be a difficult one to to answer. What I want to know is, who do you think is accountable if something goes wrong with your open source software? Is it you? Is it the university? How do you get around that challenge? I personally want to be responsible for the open source software because I developed it. So Tier 4 is providing a customized version of open source software as a product. So as far as our customers use our product, then TFO is happy to take a responsibility of any problem. But if somebody takes the open source software as is, then we can provide them some instruction or some disclaimer or some hints about how to use the software in a proper way. Uh, But eventually, all we can say is take your own risk. I think this is quite similar to the relationship between uh, Linux and their uh, distributor. If you take Linux as is, then it's your own risk. But if you use the distribution, well, such as maybe Red Hat or Ubuntu, then the Red Hat or Ubuntu could take uh, responsibility and they can support your uh, problem. So when you say open source, yeah, it means a lot. If open source as it is, then eventually 
all I can say is take your own risk. But if you take open source with tier four's uh, maintenance or support, then tier four is going to be responsible and happy to support. That's why when you say open source, it means a lot. What do you think is the benefit in operating in this way versus taking autoware and selling it to another organization? Okay, so the reason why we opened up our technology is twofold. We can't build a large-scale system alone by ourselves because we are a small startup. We need more partners, more families to build a large ecosystem. The second reason is because autonomous driving market is not there yet. So even though you can build a system alone by yourself, if you don't have your partners or family, you can't make a market. So to open new market, I wanted to open up the technology so that we can you know, get partners not only in technology development, but also in market development. So this is the second reason I wanted to make a market together with our partner companies. Say as um, tier four, you've put your car out on the road and it was using your software in a bus lane. Say something went wrong. Who in the organization do you think then would be responsible? I mean, I know it's your baby. It's the software that you've developed from scratch, but obviously there are loads of moving parts now. People are contributing it to it left, right and center. There's an entire other organization that's taking care of managing the open source elements of it. And there's just so much changing and it's such an important and potentially dangerous undertaking, where does the responsibility, the accountability lie? It doesn't sound like it should be just you, but is it just you or is it the foundations? If someone makes a change that critically impacts the software for the self-driving car, because you still do have a life at stake in the car or around you. Yeah, that's a very good question regarding how you ensure the safety of the system based on the open source. Uh, but my answer is actually the same as what I mentioned. There are two pieces of software. One is open source as is. If you take this open source as is, it's free, but your own risk. If you take open source software from Autware Foundation as is, we still provide some instruction but there is no guarantee. So if you take open source software as is, then eventually whatever support you get from Autoware Foundation, take your own risk. However, like tier four is providing a commercial version of Autoware based on the open source software, which we built together with the family and partner companies as part of the Autoware Foundation. This commercial version of Autoware, TFO is taking the whole responsibility. So if uh, the car makes some accident and if there is some flaw in the software provided by TFO, then TFO should take that responsibility. 
it's not that the CTO is accountable, it's the company, right? Of course, yeah. So I guess in your situation, the, the benefit is that you actually understand the technology that you're selling, whereas in a massive corporation, uh, you know, large banks, large consultancies, who do you think the accountability should rest on there? Is it, again, the organization or is it the um, CIO or... It must be organization. It's the organization. It must be. Yeah, it must be organization. Do you think that CEOs of large corporations who are now beginning to use tech and AI have a good understanding of what their accountability is? Yeah, that's interesting yeah, observation. So the whole responsibility must go to the organization. However, that organization's responsibility must, must be taken by a CEO or representative director. So if some accident happens, then first, that responsibility must go to the organization such as tier four if the cause of the accident is actually found in a software that is provided by tier four. Yes, the responsibility uh, should go to um, tier four, not somebody, uh, individual, uh, who develop uh, that function. So the company organization must take the responsibility. But eventually, this means that because the organization or company is represented by a CEO or a president, those persons must take the responsibility of any problem that happened to the organization or company. So the responsibility may go to eventually an individual who is a CEO or representative director of the company, but in regulation, uh, the company is responsible to fix uh, the problem or to analyze problem or uh, um, provide say, insurance or a solution. It doesn't really matter if it's an open source or not, because as far as the service is provided by a company, then this company must be responsible uh, for any accident that happened. Absolutely. How do you speak science to power? And by that, I mean, how do you influence people who aren't technical? How do you talk to them about technical things and what you do and make them understand, uh, you know, the ins and outs of what you're trying to achieve? Technical persons must understand how the technology that they produce will be used for the business. Uh, like safety issues, the technical persons who produce technology must understand how that technology is used. So, Rather than I'm telling technical persons, I don't have to tell them because in my company, at least, they already understand how the technology they produce will be used uh, for the business. You, you have to make such a company culture. You, you don't have to tell. They must know when they uh, start their work because it's a deep technology. Not technical persons cannot understand anyway how the technology will be used. So the reason why I think I'm a CTO and why my company doesn't have a CEO is because deep technology company, um, technical persons must understand how the technology is used for the business. 
So I guess you don't have any of the problem of trying to influence the CEO to change the direction. You just you just do it yourself. Does that mean that decisions can get made a lot quicker and a lot more easily in your organization without that friction, that constant um, sure. battle for for being understood and the victory is, you know, it just sounds like the ideal. It's what every technical person would dream of, right? Exactly. So um, that's how uh, technology companies should be. In my company, rather than telling technical persons, I think technology persons or technical persons have to tell business persons how the technology looks like. The business persons, operation persons must understand technology. So there is a challenge in my company. Yes, on one hand, technical persons should make the effort to understand how the technology is used for the business. At least in my company, it's kind of engineering first or technology first. The business persons uh, I think their challenge is to understand the technology. I think most of the technology companies, I think they, they do the same, like um, always technology oriented. So we have to tell the business persons or finance persons what is technology rather than business persons, finance persons tell uh, technology persons how they you know, the technology is used for the business. Has, has it been difficult to find a common language with which to speak? Have you had to help them to understand? It used to be difficult, if not impossible. Um, but now we are four years old, and I really appreciate our finance unit. They try to understand. So today we have less problems, of course, because technology is emerging every day. Even I need to study, learn uh, new things every day. But as compared to when we started the company today, I think uh, we are getting more uh, comfortable because non-technical persons very keen to learn and understand the technology. So I don't really have to teach because they are keen to learn and understand the technology. Is it possible to do what you're doing in a more traditional company? I would say it's impossible if they don't change. However, I can see these days a large company is also changing. I see you know, many collaborations between startups and traditional large companies, not only in Japan, but also in actually everywhere around the world. So I would say, yes, it's impossible for a large company if they don't change. And I can also say it's impossible for startups if we don't change. So change means like traditional large company, uh, because they already have their own system. So if they don't want to change that system, then they can't accommodate new technology. But for startups producing such technology, they don't have traditional uh, systems. Only when you find a space where startups and traditional large companies work together, then you will win. So the way Shinpei has structured his company to have a separate CTO and COO, but no single CEO, is a very unique and novel approach, something that you don't see very often. And their approach to liability was very much about how the organization would pay for it, the company. But Borju, both you and I know that that's not how most companies are currently organized and built. And actually, there are people behind who work for the companies 
behind the organization who will be held accountable for any damages that occur as a result of faulty products. And to understand that better, we need to have more specialists or, or people who understand the technology in the positions of power or with influence into those decision makers in order to help ensure they are creating the best products and can also explain how things happen. Absolutely. If I'm in random division in an organization and my head is going to roll, I'd rather it rolled while I was in a position to have stopped it from happening in the first place. But in most companies, unfortunately, people are not in that position to be able to influence change, make decisions and change the course of how things are playing out until it's too late. And then the heads roll. And what about yourself, Borju? So right now I'm involved in algorithmic trading. I'm not a trader. I'm in the um, technology and math side of things. And one of the things that my trader mentor actually said to me recently was that you will flourish in times of crisis. That's true for all specialists. People look for specialists when there is a crisis and we need to put these people into positions of power so that they can actually influence the change required to turn things around when things may go wrong. 